Oi, oi, and welcome to the Orient Outlook podcast, sponsored by Town and Country Harlow, with myself, Steve Nussbaum, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, South Stan Chum, the bearded legend, the one and only, the daddy-o, it's Mr Paul Levy. Thank you very much indeed. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this very, very special show, and as always, thanks to everyone who tuned into last week's show. Um, as our nation mourns the loss of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, all football fixtures were cancelled. Uh, over the course of this weekend. So we're actually delighted to bring you, uh, to be able to bring you a feature-length chat with our manager, Super Richie Wellens, who is holding on the line for us now. But let's start, as we do with all of our shows, with a quick word from our sponsor. Yeah, so covering London, Essex and Hertfordshire, town and country Harlow Ice estate agents. They are run by two Orient season ticket holders, along with fellow O's fans, and along with the podcast, have already helped dozens of people move home. And the best bit is... They offer all Orient fans and staff a healthy discount from their already competitive fees. So if you're thinking of selling your property or if you're curious to its value, you can save yourself at least a few hundred quid by keeping it in the Orient family. You can give the guys a call on 01279 883444 or another number 07528 471497. Or if you don't want to go on the phone and you want to use social media, you can contact the team at TNC Harlow on Twitter or get in contact with one of the guys who works there, Charlie underscore Paul P O L E. He was guest host on the podcast two weeks ago, done a fantastic job. And town and country Harlow don't just sell houses, they change lives. Yeah, absolutely. Richie, thank you very much indeed for, for waiting for us there and thank you for joining us this evening. Um, first question, I guess, what's it been like for you this weekend uh, with obviously the late postponement uh, of, of the fixtures as a football manager? What's it been like for you? Yeah, it's been pretty frustrating. We, we, we was training at 11 o'clock on a Friday, going through some some team shape and what we was going to do against, against Wimbledon and then Matt Harold obviously got told off Martin Ling that the game was off. So then we had to, you know, change our training schedule. We worked the players really, really hard then because we knew we was going to give them the weekend off. Um, and then pretty boring weekend, to be honest. I sat at home today, watched the Grand Prix. And apart from that, yeah, not, not much really. So, Richie, what are your thoughts on the, on the season so far? So as we sit here this evening, the O's have played seven games. They've won six, drawn one, sitting high at the top of League Two. I mean, what are your thoughts so far? I think we've still got... A couple of years to go. I think in terms of the points return, it's absolutely outstanding. I think everybody's contributed. Um, you look at you look at some teams, and you, you've got maybe a striker on eight goals. You look at Northampton, who's got Hoskins on eight goals. We've spread our goals throughout the team. Our performances from our defenders, our clean sheets, Vigoru in, in goal. Everybody's contributed. So when you've got a team ethic like that and a team work where everybody's contributing, if you do pick one or two injuries up, it actually doesn't. It doesn't have a big effect because you know that everybody in the squad is contributing. So um, the points return has been fantastic. Um, we've probably didn't deserve to beat Mansfield at home. Or saying that we could have gone behind. Mm. And, and once in football, when you go behind, the game changes. Because we didn't go behind, the the, the game, you know, stayed in the same the same rhythm for a, for a little period where Mansfield were on top but come the last half an hour we was pretty dominant in the game and apart from that I think we deserved to win every single game even the Swindon one where, where it was 1-1 so really pleased everybody at the club is contributing not only the players the staff you know but you look at the analysts who are doing great work the physio is top class because every time we get an injury you diagnose it really really early um, and then the players come back 
either on time or or ahead of schedule, but then they don't break down again. So, um, you know, everybody's pulling the right direction. It's been a really good start. And it's been helped massively by the impact of the summer signings. You must be chuffed with, with who you were able to bring in. Yeah, we myself and I had a conversation towards the end of last season. We we um, we knew that we wanted to keep Tom James, Adam Thompson, Theo Archibald. So they was they was a big part of what we what we wanted to do this season. We wanted to keep continuity. A lot of League Two, League One clubs, you have you have a summer of uproar every every season where these fifteen players come out, these fifteen come in, and it can take time to to adapt and and take time to get the team gelling. So we only brought. You know, as, as few as players as, as possible. I think Rob Hunt has come in a bit exceptional. Uh, Moncur has come in, and you just see the talent he's got. The last week in training, he's been he's, he's, he looks like a championship player. Um, so he's contributed well. I do think there's more goals and more assists for Monks to come, um, and, and and even people like Craig Clay and and, and Dan Happ. They're probably six, seven weeks ahead of schedule. Um, we probably didn't expect Dan and, and Craig to contribute in the first month of the season, but you know both have contributed really, really good. Um, and you look at Charlie Kelman's come in, settled, score goals. So um, yeah, every, like I say, everybody in the squad is contributing. And it seems that like every time we have a manager on or Martin Lynn comes on or the board, we always get asked a question about how the transfer system works. So at the club, does it, do you have like the final say? Will Martin come to you and say, we've identified this player, what do you think? And if you go, yeah, then it continues. Or if you go, no, does that kind of fall dead in the water? No, so, so the way it works is, is Mike, Mike still is, is data-driven. So we get all the data from players that just get us eyes on. So if we look at the data and it's really be good that doesn't mean we're going to sign them just off the data it means that we'll go and watch him did he fit into our so the reason why we signed Charlie Kelman was not because of his goal scoring record because you know he went to Gillingham and didn't score many goals but he played in the long ball team um, and he was he was feeding off scraps off of Dane Oliver but his shot his conversion rate when he did have chances was extremely high we spoke to Macaulay Bonney who was with him at QPR um, and a couple of other players who said he hits a target all the time um, but then when we watched him his pressing, his energy would, would suit our system down to the ground. So Mike does a lot of the data. Um, Steve Foster then, obviously, he's out you know, more or less every day watching games. And it's just dialogue that we have. Do we like him? Do we like him? Yes, no, whatever it may be, and we move on. But when, you know, I, I hear a lot of managers don't have the same transfers. I find that really difficult at any club. If you're the manager and you know the way that you want to play, you have to have signings where they fit into your system. So everybody's aligned at the club. You knew what type of player you wanted. Um, and if I went through all our signings, <coughs> Charlie Kelman was recommended by Matt Harold. Mike Still was... was Sorry, George Monker was, was recommended by Mike Still, um, who I didn't think we could get Monk. I didn't think we was capable of getting him. Um, but his recommendation come through. Idris El Mazzini was, was Steve Foster. Um... And Rob Hunt, these are the early ones, and Rob Hunt was, was obviously a player that I've worked with before. Mm. So every member of staff, and obviously Paul, uh, Paul Terry knows Jaden Wearer from Chelsea, so every member of staff has had their say in a transfer, and it's not like I've chose five or six players and they've all come in. I've listened to what the staff have had to, had to say, and then we've, we've gone with, with their say because they fit into the style. Proper democracy, yeah, absolutely. Um with regards to yourself, we you joined us uh, obviously towards the back end of last season, early early this year. What was it that appealed to you about joining the club uh, when you did? Given that we weren't exactly 
um, in a particularly promising situation. I mean, most managers would not sack a man. Sorry, most chairman wouldn't sack a manager when they're near top of the league. Um, it usually happens when you're on a, a downward spiral. So, what was it that appealed to you, just um, from from that perspective, that you felt that you'd back yourself to come in and and, and turn us around? Well, I've always, whenever I've took over a club, they've always been near the bottom. So when I took over at Oldham, we, we was 24th in the league, we played 11 games, uh, lost nine, drew one, won one. So we're rock bottom. You know, and my point return at Oldham was a mid-table point return. Even though we got relegated, we were just that far behind that we couldn't, we could, we couldn't turn it round. Along with a, a load of other issues. When I went in at Swindon, we was twentieth in the league. When I went in at Doncaster, Doncaster had won three games out of twenty-four before I arrived. So I'm quite comfortable in going in situations like that. It, it's, when when I, I more or less got offered the job, I went to the home game against. Um, Stevenage. Against Stevenage. Yeah, yeah, against Stevenage. And I have to say, on the drive home, I was I was swaying. Good <laughs> club, the infrastructure's there, good people, but i just seen a group of players lacking lacking any any confidence, any real belief, any style of play, um, any real intensity. Um, so what I've done, I actually drove home, I, I, I didn't want to make any rash decisions. And what I've done is I just went on Scout and watched four or five games when there was flying early on in the season I watched QPR um, the game in the cup against QPR and I thought you know what these players have got something it's just not happening for them now so can we go in there change the mentality put a smile on the face you know if I maybe wouldn't have watched them four or five games back and seen how what good players we've got um, and then obviously a couple, of, a couple of players returned from injury as well Paul Smythe returned from injury it was unfortunate that Kenny didn't get to see the best of him we're actually getting to see the best of him now Um but the, the overriding factor was just good people. I like Martin a lot. He's, I like working for people who have been a manager. They know the the um, how how tough the job is. And then you know myself and and Nigel get on really really well. So that was a that was a big thing because when I've had success, I've had good relationship with the owners. So you know that was probably the overriding factor that that made me go, yeah, I definitely want it. And have you been surprised, Richard, with how well it's gone? I mean, you came into a club, I think you were like 21st in League Two. We sit here in September, three points clear of League Two. Players seem to be playing for you. The fans have taken to you really quickly. There's a great relationship already between you and the fans. At this point in your Orient tenure, which is what, six months in, I mean, you've done an amazing job. Are you surprised with how well it's all kind of gone so far? I think the point in I think it's thirteen wins out of twenty, which is if you went from where we was, is is remarkable. Really, I didn't quite expect that, but <clears throat> I have confidence in my my ability that when 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 I'm working for a club and there's no politics involved and I can make every decision with real clarity, then my points record is really really good. Whether it be at Oldham, when I took over at Oldham. I got 32 points out of my first 17 games from being 24th in the league. But then we had a takeover and politics and, and decisions. Some of the things that was going on at the club was unbelievable. I didn't agree with them. It was... And everybody was pulling different directions. So I knew that if I could come in and, and strike a relationship with Martin quickly and then and get the board you know, all pulling the same direction, then... You know, I think tactically and, and on the training pitch, and I'm, I'm I'm pretty good. But when I was a younger coach manager, I thought that you know 95 percent of the job is being a man manager and being really good on the coaching on the on the training ground. When now I take one day one day's training a week, 
Mac Harold and Paul Terry take the rest of the, the week. I only do the lead up into the game and the team patterns of play and the shape that we're going to do. Um, and now I do a lot more delegating. I make sure I look after all the departments of the club. And actually my time spent on the training ground is probably now 10% of, the, of my job. Man management is, is probably another 10, 20% of the job. But it's looking after the staff, making sure the training ground's running, making sure there's no problems. If I see a problem, can I put that problem out straight away? I don't let it linger. It can manifest into a bigger problem. So I've evolved as a manager because when, you, when, when you're when you an ex-player, and I went in from probably finished playing to managing within probably five or six months, you just think it's about football. You just think it's about on the pitch. But then obviously as you grow and you learn the, the different parts of being a football manager, you do start to, to you know, spread your, spread your time across all the facets of the club. And I think that's helped me. Fantastic. Did you change anything from your times at Salford and Doncaster to your approach at Orient? Or was your philosophy or style always kept the same? And like, do you believe that you were right and it would have worked? <coughs> with them had it not have been for perhaps what was going on behind the scenes at the clubs? So when I, I was really lucky at Swindon because we was about 20th in the league when, we, when, I, when I went there. We got a few wins on the board pretty quickly so, so we were safe really early, there was no threat and I had about 15, 16 out of contract. So we, I kept one or two players and I probably went into the summer with about seven players. So the whole recruitment was about, right, this is how we're going to play, who can fit into it. So it was a really well-oiled machine, really, really good football team. And myself, Ben Chorley, uh, Noel Hunt, picked all the players for that system. Then when I left Swindon, I went to Salford. The, the, the team had been, you know, it was a huge wage bill, huge, huge wage bill by Graham Alexander, who wanted to play a totally different way to, to, to me. The, the, the squad had been built to play three at the back with two strikers. You know, and it, it wasn't something that I enjoyed coaching. It wasn't something that I enjoyed watching. Um, I didn't feel like... Not that I could improve them, because I could improve them, but what I was seeing, I didn't really want to improve it because it wasn't... We'd go one nil up and we had quite a slow back five, if you like which as soon as we went one nil up, they would retreat. But when I go one nil up, ideally, I want, to, I want to go and get the second. I want to play a high line. I want to be aggressive. So that, I mean, I didn't really sign anybody at Salford. I didn't spend any money with somebody else's squad. So that's difficult when you don't get the time to, to actually have your input in a, in a squad and, and make it the team look like the, the, the way that you want it. Doncaster was a whole different way. We had, a, we had no budget, really. We had a lot of young players who were really talented players, but just probably too many young kids in the same team from box to box we was actually a really really good team but in both boxes both defensively and attacking we played like it which we were a really ring, young naive team um, but that was just the way, where the club was at that moment they, they suffered from Covid and they needed to get the money back what they lost from Covid and that was my time there where they needed to recruit the, the money what they lost so ideally I went in. I came in at late night and recognised pretty quickly it was it was eight or nine players that can fit straight into the system that I wanted to play. Perfect. We, we obviously, you know, I got I got a little bit of stick for the Oldham game away and the Sutton game away, and there might be one more where I have to give the players opportunity to. I'm thinking that these players are not good enough and I'm not going to take them forward, but I have to have evidence to back it up. So that's why I give players an opportunity in them games. And then we made the decision to, to obviously let them players go. Hence where, where we're at now. And I think we've got a really good League 2 squad with a lot of players that are capable of playing higher. And just to your point there, you, you came in and there wasn't a mass turnover of players. So were you quite pleasantly surprised when you were watching back on Scout about the quality and depth 
of the squad that we actually that you actually inherited then? Um, no. One one thing I was really surprised is the fitness, the intensity levels. We've got a lot of pace. You see a lot of League Two teams. What what tends to happen when you get players at the bottom League One, League Two, they're either really really good footballers, but they lack they lack athleticism and pace, or they've got really really good pace and really good athleticism, but they don't understand the game. They're not tactically very good, and they just they're just athletes. We've got players like Paul Smythe, Theo Archibald, George Moncur, Charlie Kelman, Aaron Drinnan, who were really, really quick, but very, very coachable, um, want to dri- drive the careers, want to play at levels above this. And I, I realised r- really, really quickly, driven by Darren Prattley, Omar Beckles, Adam Thompson, Lawrence Vigaru, that we had a really good core of experienced players, that this was a really, really good dressing room. You know, I think when you when you've got a good dressing room, football's all about players. It'll never change. Pep Guardiola couldn't win the Champions League with, with let's say, about a, a Brighton or a, or a West Ham. He couldn't do it. He's an unbelievably brilliant coach, but football's all about players. So if you give the players the best chance and they take it on board and they want to fight and they want to commit to the club and they want to get results week in week out, that's the best that that's the best benchmark that you can go off. So pretty quickly, I found out that we've got a really good change room. And that stood us in good stead. You've already kind of spoken about politics at other clubs and you've already spoken about how close you are with Martin Ling. I think Martin Ling gets an awful lot of stick from from certain areas of the fan base. I think it'd be remiss of us not to ask you a follow-up question about Martin Ling. I mean, what's your relationship like with Martin? How, how is it like working for Martin? And, and, you know, on the match day, it's you who's picking the team, right? Martin Ling isn't involved with any of that. No, I think whenever I speak with Martin he's been a football he was a really really good footballer and he was a good manager so mm. my conversations whether it be on a personal level we've been there when you stand on the sideline as a, as a football manager nobody knows what it feels like nobody knows what it takes unless you've done it so that my respect for people who have done it I mean some of the guys who have done it a thousand games and for 25 years respect is through the roof so there were conversations that I'm always having with Martin always football related and when we speak about it we actually understand what each of us is saying. Um, but on a personal level, he's, he's just a great guy. Um, now, obviously, never interferes in terms of tactics or picking a team. He, he knows players and he knows systems and he goes, you know, what was you doing there or how come he done that? Or, or we'll have a conversation about a certain player or a certain pattern of play or, or a system that we're going to pick. But they're always good conversations. And I, honestly, I can only comment on the time that I've worked with and I can't speak highly enough if, as a football person, but obviously as a man as well. It must be nice in a way then to have someone that you can kind of bounce ideas off of or or talk things through. It must help kind of with your processing of stuff like, well, what was you thinking on, on that sort of passage of play? And it might help you to kind of formulate other ideas in, in, in the future. 100%. So again, I'll go back to my early management career. I, I, I enjoy doing all the talking in meetings now, but I, I delegate a lot of other people, take the meetings um, and I listen, I listen a lot, lot more. So when we, when we're watching opposition um, videos, we've got um, Joe and Charlie, our analyst, uh, Matt Harold will be in there, Paul Terry will be in there, and I'll be in there. And I go, guys, just speak, just speak, talk to me what you're seeing, you know. And some, some of the, a lot of the stuff might be, yeah, no, 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 but they might be say one or two things that really trigger me. And I go, yeah, I quite like that. Okay, but I, I don't like it to that extent but we'll do something similar to it and I've got better at listening but obviously when you're listening to football people I wouldn't have a, a meeting about football with a business person I'm not I'm not a business person my mind isn't business related um 
but I enjoy talking about football and, and Martin obviously covers that area. So the Football League transfer window, Richie, is over now, it's finished, but the National League window is still open. You have hinted that Anthony Georgiou and Connor Wood, if the loan offers were right, might be going out on loan. Is there any any update on that and is, is, have you still got the same feelings towards those those two in the squad? Yeah, no, because the window's only just about to open for them. Um, and obviously with the game being called off a weekend, it'll probably, it'll probably set us back about four or five days. So, and Giorgio and Connor Wood, two guys that I really, really like, both train really, really well every every day. It's just that Paul Smythe, um, Theo Archibald, Ruel, um, and Aaron Drew back now fit for all them wide areas. It's tough for Aunt Giorgio to get a game. So the thinking behind it is, is um, if you do get a long move, <coughs> once you've been there for, for 28 days, we can call them back. So if they are required to go into the team, they've got five, six, seven, eight games, whatever it might be, under the belt, and they're ready to go in and impact the team straight away we, we, we put bounce games on and we, and we play friendlies but it's not the same you know so what I don't I think it's unfair sometimes if someone's not played for six, seven, eight weeks and then you ask them to do to go in there and, and play when he's not got that game time I think that can be quite difficult so that's the thinking behind it we obviously have to balance the books as well um, and I think he's been they've done okay in the, in the cup games but just them little moments I mean Oxford away we played really well we could have scored seven away at Forest Green but when you're not quite at that 100% match fitness and you're at 78 them little moments them little decisions that you need to make really quickly you know are not quite there and that's why that's why you lose a game um, so that's that's the thinking behind it Thank you so that, that kind of concludes our questions we went to Twitter our favourite platform for fan engagement um, if such a such a, a platform should be labelled in, in such a way uh, we had quite a lot of fan questions come in, so we've picked a selection of the best of them um, just to put to you now. Drew Yellop says, uh, do you think this break in football will affect our momentum in the league? No. If it would have been two, a week, two weeks, maybe. Um, but no, we've got a game Tuesday, we've got a game Saturday, so we'll be right back on it. We worked them really hard on Friday. So in terms of the distance that they would have covered Friday, it would have been equivalent of them playing 70 minute games so yeah no I mean the, the biggest frustration would be the players that are not playing um, but no there'll be no momentum stop from us Sounds good to us Alexander J Rose said if Orient weren't in League 2 who would be your top 3 predictions? To go up I think whoever finishes above Mansfield will get promoted um, and that didn't change my mind when I, when I seen them um, <clears throat> I think Salford will be up there. They're one of the best teams that I've that I've seen because what tends to happen is that the, the teams that we're playing, they've actually played Salford in previous games, so I've actually got eyes on them quite a lot. Right. I think Northampton will be up there. So they, if we, like I say, if we finish above Mansfield, I'd take that now. Um, but Northampton and Salford will be right up there as well. Yeah, I think that's a good. I think I'm inclined sure. to agree there. Actually, yeah, really good shout. It would be a real bum fight come the end of the season. Les LK fifty two said, "Would you sign your son Charlie?" Um, what as a, as a footballer or as in the the situation that it 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 can offer up? I think as a footballer, one hundred percent. He's gone on loan to Oldham now, <laughs> which will be really really good for him. So I think from his loan will end about the first week of, of January technically he's a footballer that should be nowhere near our level or the level below but it's about you know building resilience getting his decision making could be you know leaving being a boy and, be, and becoming a becoming a man so um, I would sign him but 
I mean, he needs to find out his best position. He can play right back, right wing, centre midfield. Um, he's played right back for Man United in the 23s the last 18 months. I don't think he's helped him because he's not going to be a right back. I don't think he's been developed in the right way. Um, but he'll be a, he'll be a midfield player. So maybe in the future we'll see. But at the moment we don't we, we don't need him. How much input do you have for his his career? Obviously being an ex player and a manager, and obviously his dad. Do you do you kind of get involved much, or do you just kind of leave it to his coaches and his agent? Yeah, no, I don't get involved at all. I think it, there'll be thousands of dads out there that will tell you when you speak to your son he doesn't want to listen to his dad mm. irrespective that I played for 20 odd years and I've been a manager for six seven he, he just goes in one ear and out the other mm. the biggest influence on, on on young footballers are the coaches are the managers they're the ones that see him every single day they, they can work out little traits that they've got how do we get the best out of them both you know in terms of develop, developing the technical and tactical ability which players at Manchester United should already have but how do you develop this resilience now how do you you, you Every time I've, I've tried to stay clear of first-time loans, because when you get the players in, it's nothing to do. They've got a bit, really good ability, but can they dig in? Can they fight when that when that one v one duel? When that midfield player runs off you, can you track him? Can you take him the other way? Can you fight? The, these are what these twenty-three games don't. I mean, if I want a centre half from a twenty-three game, I'll watch him. And yeah, he shifts across the pitch really well. He's got decent speed. He's got decent athleticism. He can pass the ball. But I never see any long balls played onto him. I never see strikers running behind angled runs or channel runs. I never see him having to defend crosses because this 23s league just doesn't... They don't do it. They pass in front of you. They pass, pass, pass. They're getting beat 1-0 with five minutes ago. They don't put it in the box. They pass, pass, pass. And it's sort of the detriment of these young kids who actually want to go and forge a career for themselves. Yeah, good answer. Great answer from a tactical perspective. We had a few questions from Wadsey. I think you've answered uh, some in previous answers, but he asked, how do you keep players who are out of the squad happy and focused? Or is the team spirit such that it's not overly necessary? No, honestly, communication, talk to them and be honest with them. Okay, why are you not playing? So I had a conversation with Craig. I think Craig's found it. I feel as though I've been a bit harsh and he's not being the team. He probably should be in the team. But he got back in the team, done really, really well, and they got injured for two weeks. So it's difficult to get him back in because Pratt has been outstanding, El Mazzoni's been outstanding, and George Moncur is a different midfield player that offers something different as playing as a 10. Um, but every every time that, that Craig and, and Jordan Brown have come on, they've given us real stability in the game and they've been fantastic. But yeah, the, the answer to the question is communication and be honest. I'm always honest with the players. Sometimes I might have a conversation and they might not like it, but at least they know where they stand, at least they know what they need to do to get back in the team. Um, I've played for managers who were honest with me and up front and, talk, and I always preferred it that way. I didn't like the managers that wouldn't pick me and then not speak to me because he knew I might be upset and then they don't speak to me for two days and then that becomes four days and that becomes eight days and then in the three day games time they want to pick me and put me back in the team and I'm like, hang on a minute, you've not spoke to me for two, three weeks. So yeah, I'm always honest with the players and I always communicate with them. We've said it a few times in the last few episodes that we've done, it's an amazing headache for you to have that you now literally have a fully fit squad and people that are obviously pushing each other hard in training and how do you leave out X player over Y player and how do you not how do you change a winning side? You obviously don't. So it must be stuff that's keeping you up at night. Yeah, I don't think it's about not changing a winning side. I'm trying to pick the team that wins the next game. Mm. You know, but And again, I'll go back to it. We've got a really, really good dressing room. And if anybody slackens off, 
You know, sometimes I might need to step in, but the players are on each other. The, the intensity in training, the level of training is so, so high. If you want to win leagues, if you want to win promotion, it, talent isn't enough. It's about a group ethic, driving each other on. It's every single day, it's not a tap. You can't switch it on and off. So I'd like to think that from the moment we came in, um, for the first day of pre-season, we, we, we put fundamentals and non-negotiables to the players and everybody stood by that, sort of driving each other on as well, which is which is obviously, a, for me, when you want success, it's the biggest, most important ingredient that everybody's driving each other on. It sounds like you're a very honest manager, Richie, and we've seen that work well in previous managers at this football club. Is there one manager who you aspire to be, like who you've played for, or is it a combination of different managers who you've played for under your playing career where you've taken little bits of different <coughs> learnings from different managers, or is there one who you look up to and go, right, that that was the key gaffer who I played for? Yeah, I mean, I worked for some really good ones, but it was all different. Um, the Probably the best all-rounded manager was probably Nigel Pearson that I played for. Um, Sean O'Driscoll tactically was very, very good. He got the best out of me. Sengor and Eriksson, man manager, was was outstanding. The best coach I ever, ever had to work for was, was Paolo Sosa. Unbelievable on the training ground. He just never... He never allowed us to grow into the way that he wanted to play. He wanted, to, he wanted us to run before we could walk. So he didn't, he didn't last long enough to get his to get his ideas across. But he was a fantastic coach. Um, I think what what drives me on is when I was a young player, I was at, I was at United. We had a coach called Eric Harrison, uh, who's obviously famous for the class of '92. Really, really old school, like so so demanding. If he was winning, I remember one game we was winning seven 0 at half time, and we only ended up finishing winning 9-0 and he didn't come in for the team talk he drove home before the before the team talk had finished and we come in and we say to the Fizzle where's the, where's the manager gone? he's gone home and on a Monday morning he pulled he says never ever let that happen again but Man United that's not acceptable to only win the second half 2-0 don't keep it easy go to the back keep going for the juggler be ruthless and go and win 15-60 wherever it might be and he was really good for me he, he kept me I was a bit of a rebel when I was a young kid I wanted to I wanted to push boundaries and he always kept me in kept me in line um, and he retired when I was about 18, and that hit me really, really hard. Um, and then I didn't have nobody that set demands on me from probably the ages of 18 to, to 22, 23, and I really regret that. So what I always try and offer my players is, I want you to all do well. I want you all to get to absolute maximise what you can get out of your career, because it's only a short career, and I've worked with some players who have... Who have I let it drift and now they don't play in the league anymore and I've also worked with players that have gone on to be really successful and sign big contracts at Premier League clubs so it's an extremely rewarding career but you have to put it in so I try and give all my players every chance by by giving them everything that they need to be successful Freddie LOFC asks is this would you say this is the best squad that you've worked with as a manager uh, really really tough I think these these um <coughs> What I do like is, so when, when I was at Swindon, we had a, I mean, I, you probably remember the game when we played late in Orient and we was freeing up at half-time. We was so free-flowing, everybody knew the, the roles of the team, but if it became a dogfight, then we could get bullied a little bit. You know, it didn't happen a lot, but I'd say 80% of the time we were out footballing teams, but there would be odd occasions, I remember Newport away being one such occasion where we, we could get bullied a little bit. I think this team, this squad, we've got different ways of, of winning. As you've seen, we've not been at our best for a couple of games. But we've actually been really comfortable. Um, we wasn't our best at, at Colchester away. We win 3-1. It could have been 
it could have been six or seven. So I think we've got different different ways of winning. Physically, we, we're very, very good. Um, I would say it's up there. I do think we've got a lot of a lot of players that potentially can play, you know, not just in League One but higher than that. So um, yeah, we they just keep working hard, and, and obviously you have got to keep striving for that. Nick Clark Owls uh, had two questions for you, Richie. He says, "How often do you get back to see your family?" And also goes on to say, "How does our off the field setup compare to other clubs you have managed?" Um, well, in terms of getting home, it would depend on the schedule. If we've got a Tuesday game. Um, <clears throat> so I'd say the maximum I would get home is twice a week. Obviously, every 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 time we play, I will go home the day after we play because that's a day off, and it just depends if we've got to choose the game or not. Sorry, what was the other question? Uh, how does our off the field setup compare to other clubs you have managed? Um, I would say Doncaster's setup is very very good. Lovely stadium, really good training ground. The the environment that we, we, we train at in Chigwell School is really, really good. It's a lovely area. The training ground's surrounded by trees, so it's not very it's not very windy. The conditions are always good. I would like the pitch to be a little bit better, even though it is in good condition at the moment. And we would like a, a little bit more in terms of the building, whereas at the moment we have communal offices where we, we don't have a lot of room. So, listen, that's just nitpicking. I think if we do get touch wood, we do get promoted and go to League One it's something that the club maybe look at and, and just get a little bit more you know infrastructure in, in terms of a training ground Another personal type question for you came in from Paddock Inspector O who said what is if any would be your couple of would be a couple of your favourite musical solo artists or bands from Manchester Oasis would be my favourite oh, Top Manchester Oasis yeah yeah of course just, just Oasis. Anyone else that stands out for you? Well, I'm, I'm a bit more old school. I like a bit of Elton John. Yeah, fair. Um, Lionel Richie, that's my task. If I'm driving down to Chigwell, that'll be my music. Very nice. <laughs> very, very nice. Very nice. Good choice. Great stuff. Great stuff. Kevin Cowlin uh, says, thank you so much for the way you are uniting this club from top to bottom. What are your short-term ambitions here and do you see yourself leading us into League One? and then the championship? <clears throat> well, I don't think you can plan to get in a championship. My short-term goal is obviously to get promoted this year, but but get a way of playing that is consistent. And, and when you get a way of playing, you look at teams like Brentford and Brighton that have gone up through the leagues and are really consistent in the way that they play, the way that they sign players. They don't get there. It's not... It's not it's not luck. It's no coincidence that at that level. It's because they keep making good decisions, really, really good, stable run clubs. And that's what we want to get to. So, although in football you can never look too far ahead, I think my main aim would be, can you get into the top 10 of League One? League One is a different animal when, you, mm. when you're going against clubs like, obviously Sunderland just got promoted, but you're getting the Ipswiches, the, the, the Derbys, there's some really big budgets, some really big football clubs. But what you need to do is get into League One and try and stabilise yourself as a top um, a top ten League One club. And then if one day it falls in your lap that you get promoted, you take it. And if you ever get promoted to, to the Championship, the money that that you know, can bring into your club, it, it means that you can start developing the, like, the training ground and things like that. And then you've got a, you've got a better all-round football club. But um, yeah, the, the immediate goal is just to win the next game. In terms of injuries, how are we doing with Ruel and Theo? Are you able to give us 
any update on on that side of things for us? Um, Ruel is fine, and Theo is fine. I don't think that the Rochdale manager is going to listen to this podcast, so I'll tell you that. I, 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 I hope not. You'd be surprised, Richie. It goes far <laughs> and wide, my friend. <laughs> oh, yeah. Everybody's uh, fine. Aunt Giorgio's got a little niggle. We had a friendly against Barnet the other day, um, and he's got a little niggle. Apart from that, everybody is fit. Adam Thompson might be a doubt for the game, but that is just we've, we've got to a stage with Adam where we're, we've been loading his injury a little bit too much, so we just need to to lower his load down for a little bit. He might not make the game. Cool. Thank you. Wilco three hundred says so far most of our away games have been local. How will your approach be different for the longer away trips? And do you think the shorter away trips have helped us towards our great start? Good question. Uh, no, we, we we plan we we always plan the same. Um, so tomorrow we will train at a training ground just outside Manchester. So we'll we'll train at about two o'clock. Um, I don't like training in our training ground and then leaving because what what could be a four hour journey can potentially turn into a seven eight hour journey if you start getting stuck in traffic once the rush hour starts so we'll leave at half nine um, we'll get to Manchester around around two o'clock and we'll, and we'll train and then we'll we'll obviously train in the morning of the game but that'll be really light a job a stretch um, and yeah the, the preparations always stay the same Orient Fan TV asks in your opinion what's it take to be a good manager and how do you differ from other managers I think the big the, the the one piece of advice I would give to any young manager or any young coaches that want to be a manager is be you. Be authentic of what you are. Don't be trying someone else. I've done that at other clubs where the people have tried to Im- influence me in being something that I'm not and it didn't work. I think when I'm authentic and I'm, I'm, I'm myself, then I'm pretty good. When I start trying to be somebody else or I try to try and do something that is not me, then it, it goes wrong. So I think that's what you learn. Um, but you do you do get a lot of people asking questions and don't want to be themselves. If you're not if you're not yourself, the players, the staff, they'll see they'll see straight through you, and it won't you won't last very long. And thick skin, you need thick skin as well. <laughs> it's about credibility as well, isn't it? If you're going to stand up and and tell someone that you want them to play in a certain way or be a certain way, you need to kind of be your natural your natural self as well, right? So they need to buy into you as a leader. One hundred percent, and and again, I think honesty and respect are two values that I have, which I always give to my players. And if and if that's not, you know, reciprocated back to myself or the staff, it ain't gonna work. The player has to leave the club. So, you know, when you're giving yourself all to, you give yourself to a player and go, listen, I will work twenty four seven for you. I will walk, drive up and down the country. I watch your position to give you the very best opportunity on Saturday to win for, for me and I'm a football club but also to win week in week out to get a promotion in your CV to further your career now if they take liberties on that then there's only way, one way it's going to work out and, and the players need to leave the club but we're so lucky we don't have any, anyone like that at our football club great stuff good to hear Trousers Techno says historically which team and their style of play does Richie admire most of all and does this influence the manner in which he tries to build teams so whether it be Barcelona or Man City, Bayern Munich, I think his, his style of football is is the best. Um, we obviously, I think when we get everybody fit and we get our strongest players on the pitch, we can play a really fluent game of football. But it's obviously injuries or what what happens in 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 our league is opposition make changes and sometimes you can get over the line and win games 
just by digging in and winning second balls. You notice how we, we you know, we managed the game against, um, it was our last game against uh, Hartley Pool. So we, we're winning 1 0. We just put balls in areas, we get a long throw. Mm-hmm. When, when, when we get the long throw, the opposition bring everybody back, which is perfect because when they clear it, if we obviously if we, we throw it in and we score, then great. But when they clear it, we pick up second balls and we can control the game. And then we put it in an area again. We might, for the, so for the two or three minutes before we score our second and put the game together against Hartlepool, we're just playing in areas and just suffocating Hartlepool and they can't get out. They get frustrated. One of their midfield players jumps to us. I think it was Idris Elmazuna. He shouldn't have left his, his, his zone. He plays around the corner to Charlie Kelman. The next man leaves his zone, plays Paul Smith in 2-0. But that's a result of the previous five minutes Good decision after good decision, suffocating the opposition. So, like I say, we're not going to be Man City where every single game is the same. It's always free-flowing football. There's going to be times in our league where we need to dig in. The pitches might not be the best. The environment might mean that we alter the way that we play a little bit. So we do. We can't be Man City where we just go, this is how we're going to play every single week. We do need four or five different ways of playing to get a result. I slightly misled you there. It was Tranmere, not not Hartlepool. Sorry about that. That's my fault. So, yeah. Sorry. No, it was Tranmere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we had a, a a a message that came in from uh, Run and Ref with GC. Um, he was at the Meet the Manager event, and um, he's actually a referee at a lower level. I remember you giving him a bit of stick because yeah, he did I'll ask a question well, yeah. uh, about referees. He said, "Please ask Richie if he's put down roots in East London or Essex." Well, I don't commute every single day, otherwise, bloody hell. It'd take you forever, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, so at the moment, me and myself and PT are in Brentwood, um, so that's where that's where we're staying. Ah, cool. And also, do you agree that despite the problems with VAR in the Prem, uh, has the, the standard of officiating in the EFL has improved this season? I, I don't get this argument. VAR is not the problem. VAR is a really, really good tool. Yes, yeah, it's the people it's the people. Yeah. That, so the biggest frustration with referees is they don't they never want to contradict themselves and when you watch rugby or when you watch I've just been watching the NFL there with Miami Dolphins playing New England Patriots they're mic'd up so when they're having conversations between them everything is heard by the supporters everything is, is by the TV but our referees are, are scared of accountability and if mm. you don't have accountability how are you going to grow how are you going to improve how are you going to get better and mm. I think that's a massive problem in our game my biggest problem with the referees at our level was fitness levels but I do think that that's got better I think we've had a couple of poor refereeing decisions this season for the little decisions but actually the big decisions in the majority of the referees have got right in our games so I do think there's been an improvement but we need to get um, ex-players we need to get young people refereeing in the 17, 18, 19-year-old, but by the time they're 23, 24, they can have 20, 25 years in uh, refereeing in the EFL. It's a good living. Mm. You know, you, you get to, to to learn your trade and, and go out and, and referee in front of thousands of people every week, and it must be a good job. I mean, I, it's something that I would look into if I wasn't a manager, but you've got to be fit. If you're not fit and you, your physical condition is not the best, then that's going to obviously affect your, your mental capacity to, to make the right decisions at some stage and, and that's been my biggest problem but yeah VAI is brilliant but just get different people to get a re- get the referee to referee on the pitch and then get someone out of the referees association to watch it on VAR and have a conversation between the two this is what I'm seeing what do you see what do you think okay I agree with you okay I disagree and then make a decision 
Mm. It's pretty easy for people who have played football for so long. That's a penalty. That's not a penalty. The offside is a really tough one. You have to get the lines out, but I think that's pretty clear now. Um, yeah, I, I think VAR is. You've either got to, if you're going to do it, do it properly. If not, scrap it and let's get the emotion back in the game. When when teams score, they're not looking over the shoulder thinking mm, this might be caught, this might be ruled out. This they can go and celebrate with the supporters and and let the emotion take over. It can only happen in England where you bring in a piece of kit to improve the game and it ends up causing more controversy than it ends up hmm. solving. Unbelievable. You've mentioned uh, Paul Terry a few times, Richie. I think it's fair to say when he was appointed your assistant manager, a bit of a mixed reaction from the fan base. We've been lucky enough to have him on the podcast. I thought he came across really well, really yeah. well spoken. Seems like you have a great relationship with both uh, Paul and Matt Harold. So the three of you seem to have a really good relationship. How, how do you guide them forward and how do you get your expectations over? I'll let them have their, their opinion. So from day one, I mean, I, I didn't know Matt at all. I've never met Matt in my life before I met him at uh, the Marriott Waltham Abbey. Straight away, got a good feeling from him. Um, opinionated, wants to get his opinion across. And that, for me, that's good. I don't want people to say, agree with me every two minutes. Otherwise, what's the point? Mm. Um, so both of them will argue the case. Both of my young, hungry, want to take training every single day. So it allows me to, to, to take, take a step back. And, and sometimes I'll join in so I get a feel of the players as well. But then I can actually step back and see 2022 20, players playing. If I'm taking the sessions every single day, and you're in the middle of it, that's more difficult to do. So, yeah, two young, hungry coaches. I think they've both been great for me, both been great for the club. Um, have a good relationship with the players because, obviously, they've not been retired too long. So, they, they understand the dressing room and they belong in a dressing room environment. Um, but, yeah, two really good people. And I didn't know that, that PT has actually done this podcast. So, I'm probably going to go to bed in about half an hour. I'll put Paul Terry's podcast on it should send me asleep <laughs> fair play nicely done Danny who sits near us has, has put three questions to us the first one is the best player that you've ever played with um, well <clears throat> I don't want to name drop here but when I was <laughs> but anyway no I was, I was at Man United from 96 to 2000 when they won the treble so the, the players that you you train with every day there. Unbelievable, unbelievable players. Paul Scholes, Eric Cantona was an unbelievable player. Beckham, Giggs, all fantastic players. Um, but when I was, so I played with England from under 16s to under 20s in the same age group as Steven Gerrard. Um, it was an unbelievable team. I'll go and I'll give you the team now. Left back was Ashley Cole, right back was Brown, Ledley King, Jonathan Woodgate, centre halves. Wow. Um, Joe Cole, Stephen Gerrard, Scott Park in midfield, Michael Owen up front, Peter Crouch, Gifton No Williams, Darius Vassell, among others. But Stephen Gerrard's the one player, not the one player, because Scholes give me that feeling as well. But Gerrard was just like, like he's six foot two, he can run. I've never seen a better pass for a ball. He can score goals, he can tackle. I always like plays. If I put him, so Scholes is a fantastic player, but so is Gerrard. I think if you said to them two, go and play one v one. Just used to. Stephen Gerrard had run all over him, so that's why for me he's probably the best player that I've played with. Second question from Danny was who was your footballer inspiration or idol growing up? Brian Robson, uh, and then Paul Gascoigne. Brian Robson was a one-man team for Man United in, in the the eighties. So my first, I'll never forget my first game 
uh, sorry, not the first game. The first game that I watched on TV was the um, the 1985 FA Cup final. Norman Whiteside cut in from the right and killed a left foot shot past um, Southall. We, we, we beat Everton 1-0. And that's what got me hooked. But I just used to watch Brian Robson and think, gee, what a player. Geek, that was very similar to Gerrard. Could just do anything on a, on a football pitch as, as a complete midfielder. So as a young kid growing up in Manchester, were you kind of watching these players and then getting a ball in your back garden and then just practising what you saw then? Was that your kind of inspiration? Well, so, when you, so when I was growing up in the late 80s, early 90s, we were living on council estates in, in, in Manchester and there was a ball everywhere. So literally, at break time at school, we'd, we'd play 20 minutes football for the, two, for the hour at dinner. We'd just play football constantly. Mm. We'd come home, we'd play on the street, we'd play on the, any patch of grass. It'd be it, their estate versus our estate. We'd never, we'd never be out of football. So, um, and obviously football wasn't on as much back then. So it's more about playing with your mates and, and, than, than actually watching the, the TV. Last question from Danny is, where do you see Orient being in three years from now? Good question. Um, like I say, I would like them to be a really competitive League One team. Um, I think we've got the capabilities of doing that. I think it's a really, really well-run football club, you know. And for the, for the last couple of years, I've wanted to find find a home. You know, I've I've not I didn't settle at Salford for one reason or another. Um, and then Doncaster was just he, he just was was what it was. I made a bad bad decision going there, you know. And I've, I feel like I've got my mojo back. I'm enjoying my, my work. Um, and it's it's a club that I'd like to stay for for a number of years. I've found a home. I ain't I ain't looking to to jump ship any any time soon. I feel really really comfortable. And when you've got that as a football manager, that's worth more than anything. When you feel comfortable in in your workplace. So um, yeah, I'm enjoying it. And if I can stabilise us in a League One as a, as a League One club, then I'd be really happy. I mentioned uh, previously that you've got a really good rapport with supporters. They've taken to you really quickly. In fact, so quickly you've got your own song. It's probably the the loudest sung song uh, in most games now. You like the song? You sing along with it? You nod your head to it? Do you sing it when you get home? <laughs> no, my, my, so Alfie does. Alfie went to, Alfie's my youngest boy. He went to Swindon away last year. And, and he likes sitting with the away fans. He loves it. So, um, yeah, he sings it quite regularly. So he enjoys it. My, I have to, I have to say, um, my four-year-old. I've just started getting him into Orient. He's had his first shirt this season. He wants to come to all the games, and he'll just walk around the house singing that song. Just, I don't even prod him. I don't even like say, "Oh, go on, sing it now." He actually just starts singing it. Like in the bath yeah. tonight, he was just singing the Super Richie Wellen song. So it's clearly a song that sticks with with everybody. I'm quite proud of him actually. My wife thinks I've turned into her, turned him into a hooligan already, but that's another. That's another conversation. But that, that's why I was asking the supporters to get songs mm. at the end of last season, beginning of this season, because it makes people feel good. Mm. And if you go on a football pitch, now, when, I, when I said it, I didn't mean make up a song about me. But when you're a football <laughs> player and you're, and you're playing, you're doing well, and people sing a song for you, that doesn't matter if you're playing in League Two or you're Lionel Messi, the best player he's ever been. It makes you feel good. And if you feel good when you're playing football and confidence is high, then you're a much better player. Mm. Yeah, great shout. So those were all our listener questions. Before we let you go, Richie, hopefully a big week awaits the team with Rochdale away, hopefully on Tuesday, followed by Walsall, hopefully at home on Saturday. Do you want to give us your thoughts on those two games coming up? Rochdale is very similar to, to Hartlepool, um, and which is a good thing. It shows how far we've come where everybody expected us to win. 
Um, they've had two games on the gym Bentley now, both three three draws. So they've obviously got a you know, we've quickly signed in from Stockport. They've obviously found a goal threat now. Um, so away from home in our league, if you don't do the basics well, it can be, it can be a tough game. So we need to make sure that we don't veer away from what we've been doing. Um, and then Walsall, Mike Flynn's a totally overall the squad over the summer made a lot of signings. So that'll be a tough game as well. I think they'll be they'll be searching for a playoff space. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if they're in around the top seven coming into the season. That'll be a difficult game. Um, but yeah, but we just need to continue what we're doing and get a good a good points return from them two games. Um, we have uh, a really varied audience. We're very proud at, uh, with this podcast that we've got such a, a variety of audience, old and young. And, and there's a, we know that there's a lot of parents that listen to the podcast with, with their sort of young children who are all really enthusiastic about football. What advice would you give younger listeners who perhaps are really enthusiastic about football? They play for a team and perhaps have ideas of, um, of perhaps looking to get into the game uh, on a professional basis. Would you do you have any sort of tips, hints, pointers, guidance that, that, that obviously from your experience and from your your son's experience, and obviously perhaps what you give the academy kids as well. The, the biggest two things I would say was number one, effective practice. So practice, these players don't get to top, top levels without practicing every single day. And that doesn't mean practicing kick-ups and practicing, practice your striking the ball, practice taking the ball on, on the half turn, your touch, your technique, practice, practice, practice. And then the other one for any young kid is don't let anybody tell that you can't do it. There's numerous football. You look at the, England, the current England team now, they've all come from lower league football. They've all been either on loan at lower league football. Harry Kane gets... You know, I, I played with Harry Kane at, um, at Leicester. He come, he was a, he was a young kid trying to make his way in the game, and he didn't really couldn't get in the Leicester team. The, one of the most elite mindsets I've ever seen, or, or I've been in the presence of. So you look where that mindset has took him. Obviously, he's got extreme talent as well. Where he's practiced, he's, he's finishing, he's practiced his technique, he's passing. But then no one can tell him that he's not going to be captain of England. He's not going to be the England's all-time scorer. His belief. So yeah, don't let anybody tell you that you can't do it because if you believe it yourself and you truly, you really, really go for it, then anybody can achieve anything. Great stuff, Richie. Last question from us, not even a question really. As we sit here tonight, like we said, six wins out of seven games, sits top of the league, a dream start. Hopefully, you get the August Manager of the Month award. Hopefully, at some point this week. But your closing message tonight into all I, I hope I've got it. The trophy's next to me. Here. <laughs> an exclusive here on the podcast well done Richie we can exclusively reveal that what's your message to uh, fans listening to the podcast this evening what's your closing message the, the, honest just continue what you're doing because every I mean I heard he was 14, 1500 sold for Wimbledon sold out yeah I believe yeah. sold out that's fantastic again that's, that's what you want to do keep building the club keep this momentum going forward and then as I said in previous interviews I get the feeling, I know that the players now are getting the feeling that every time we turn up at Brisbane Road, there's a really good feel factor about the club. And opposition managers now are going, they can sense it when they walk into the ground. These are going these are going places because the atmosphere, you know, even the when we're nil-nil at, at Mansfield and they've missed a penalty, they've had a couple of opportunities where Viggs has pulled us out of the out of the uh, pulled us out of trouble. The fans stuck with us. What happens at most games is when we're keeping the ball off Colchester and, and frustrating them, the Colchester fans start getting the players back. Two minutes later, we score. And then we turn a screw and we, and we, and we go and win the game. So the atmosphere at the ground is fantastic. So let, let's just keep it up. 
So we thank Richie Wellens for giving up uh, an hour of his Sunday evening. Very, very interesting what he had to say. He always, and, and people that sit around me, we all think that he speaks so well and so wisely as well. So Richie, if you're listening back to this, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us. And thanks to you for joining us for this very, very special Orient Outlook podcast with Super Richie Wellens. If you're listening on iTunes, please subscribe, give our podcast a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you get your podcast from. If you're listening on SoundCloud, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, add us to your favourites in that way. You'll have all the podcasts available as soon as we upload them. We're also on Smart Speakers, Fan Hub app, which is brilliant, so listening to us couldn't be any easier. If you've got an older relative, a loved one or an Orient chum that you think will like the podcast, grab their phones, download it for them and pass the pod. Bid in the John Day, 98 iTunes reviews. We've had a few over the last few weeks. Thank you to David Blitz for reviewing Legends. the podcast. Nice five stars there. Oh. Uh, and also 45 uh, five-star reviews now on Love Spotify. This. So if you are listening, like Paul said, rate the show on Spotify or give the show a five-star rating on iTunes. And also thank you to the media team for setting that up for us. We are very appreciative to you for that as well. Yeah, thank and you to Luke, who, like Richie said, on married. his honeymoon, and we'll obviously mention that in next week's podcast, which will be a return to normal of all the news and views that you could ever need. So episode 293 will be with you on Bank Holiday Monday, because it's a bank holiday next weekend. As it is now. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. So that returns with all the information and views that you could ever need. We look forward to hearing from you as always. Keep calm, stay safe, have a great week, and listen to the Orient Outlook podcast. Up the O's.